Hello, and welcome to the Business Behind Small Business, the show that reminds you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you are a business owner. In each episode, we will discuss a common issue small businesses face and offer tips and advice from the perspectives of two business owners, one that built to sell and one that built to inherit. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone and Chloe Lee. There's a lot of business behind small business, so let's get to it. What's your story? Did you bootstrap your company and learn that hard work and an attention to detail would be the cornerstone of the service you provide? Did you start a lemonade stand as a kid and donate the money to your ailing neighbor, cementing the idea of forging your own path in your current company? What's your story? That's a question we hear a lot, and yet many don't understand or connect the brand to the origin story. We find we're more interested in movies and TV when they go backwards to the beginning for us to better understand the present. So why wouldn't it pull clients in too? It would. And we're going to prove to you your story is your brand and your brand is your success. So... In saying that, Chloe, why don't we discuss what the types of branding are and and what does that even mean? Yeah, so why worry about branding for your business, right? I think a lot of us think that when we're starting up, it is certainly something you you just don't think about, uh, especially when you're surviving and just trying to make your company work to start with. Um, But certainly um, along the lines and even as what I'm going to get into a little later, it's never too early to start branding your business. All right, let's begin with some definitions of brand, brand identity, and branding. And this is according to 99designs.com. So a brand is a collection of values and perceptions the world has about your company. Keep in mind that a brand is really more about how the world perceives you versus what you've been trying to communicate to the world. So at the end of the day, you don't have a final say about your brand. A brand is simply what other, see, other people see your company as. Now, branding is a series of deliberate choices you make to communicate your brand to the world. Um, This is probably what you're trying to put out there for others to perceive you as. Now, although they're the ones that has the final say of what your brand is, branding is how you're trying to direct that perception. And then there's brand identity. And that's a set of design choices you make when branding something. So brand identity can include things like your font choices that you use on your website, the color palette that you associate with your company, or the different types of graphics that you're using. Brand identity provides the building blocks that you use to develop your brand strategy. Now, according to 99designs, there's actually eight different types of branding. And for the purpose of this episode, because we're not planning to keep you here for three hours, (laughs) um, I'm only highlighting two of these, but we'll have the article linked below in the show notes so you can actually read through the full article, which is pretty good and kind of goes through all eight of the different types of branding. So the two I want to highlight is talking about the personal and corporate branding. So personal branding is a public persona that accurately communicates your unique personality. This tends to happen in places where people, whether you are a famous celebrity, public figure or not, interact with other individuals like a social media platform or let's say a professional event. Corporate branding is if a company is a person, their corporate branding is how they would express their personality. 
Uh, corporate branding, just like any other type of branding, has a series of design choices and actions that communicate key points about that brand. So this is where you hear people talk a lot about values, what's your company mission, uh, what's your ideal customer, even your price point ex exclusivity of who you serve and who you're willing to work with. Now, most companies use more than one type of brand. So definitely make sure that you take a look at the articles we have linked in the show notes below so you get a well-rounded picture of what the eight types of brandings are. So would you say that, you know, for my mind, would you say that personal branding would be like Kim Kardashian and corporate branding would be like Martha Stewart? I would say, well, so, I, you know, that's interesting because technically Kim Kardashian and Martha Stewart are kind of similar in a sense, right? Their personal brand and their corporate brand oh, yeah, are kind of intertwined. Right. Okay. So Kim Kardashian is selling things. So never mind. Maybe not, maybe not Kim K. Maybe, maybe Chloe K. <laughs> maybe one of them that, you know, their, their self is their brand. So you bring up a good point, right? So along the lines of your example, I would say it would be like the difference between Khloe Kardashian, not Khloe Kardashian. <laughs> I'm getting all the Kardashian sisters confused at this point. But actually, yeah, we can use her because her brand is not quite as out there as Kim Kardashian. So it's like the difference between like Kim, Dar Kim Kardashian herself and Good American, which I believe is the apparel company that Khloe Kardashian owns or is part of, which nobody has ever really heard that she's part of it unless I guess you follow mm -hmm. her, but she is some part of it. But the uh, good American brand stands on its own. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, she's done a good job of doing that, right? Like, yeah, I, I could go with that. But I would definitely say corporate branding is definitely Martha Stewart. Well, it depends what stage of the business you're in, too. All right. There are certain stages that um, and the reason why I picked these two brands to actually define is that the, the very common road that people take when they're starting up their first business is you start with a personal brand and eventually you get to a place where your personal and corporate brand brand is intertwined. And then some would eventually decide to establish a corporate brand, which then you have two distinct brands. Right. So going back to the question I was asking earlier is, you know, why worry about branding? For your business? And is it too early or too late? Or why is it even important to begin with? So in my opinion, your brand has a definite quantifiable value that is often overlooked. And for our fellow accountants out there, <laughs> to address what you're probably thinking is I'm not talking about the internally generated goodwill that I know doesn't show up on a balance sheet of a company until after it's acquired. Rather, I'm talking about how your brand um, or our brand, anybody's brand in a company shows up in a way within the business that does have actually direct and daily impact. So for example, your brand can actually add or detract from the sales price of the product or service, which of course ultimately impacts your profits and how it can also do the same for your acquisition price of your company should you want to sell it. Well, actually, let me take it back. Should you want to sell it? And also, should you want to maybe leave it to a future generation or a different generation of owners? Because at some point, you have to determine the fair market value of your company and brand may play a part in that. So in terms of sales, your customers are probably willing to pay more for a brand if they can trust it. Savannah, you and I probably do this all the time. So in my mind, I'm thinking about a Mac versus a PC, Target, like things you pay for at a Target versus a Walmart, uh, Starbucks versus any local coffee store, Gucci versus Coach, right? There's a certain premium that you and I are willing to pay for because we know the brand and we trust the brand. And the brand has a way of making us feel like we're actually saving money in the long run because we feel like we're buying pro uh, quality products um, and 
that therefore we don't have to worry about it breaking soon or need to spend a lot of time on the phone with customer service if something goes wrong. And for that, we're willing to pay that premium, which means that the right brand can allow you to charge more, which means generating more revenue per unit or per sale, which can lead to higher profits. And I would like to also point out that when with the examples of brands that you're mentioning, they really do stand behind. It's not that you're creating this false sense of an idea. You really are creating a more cemented idea, a more tangible idea of of what people should or how people should see your brand. So for example, and I bring this up all the time because it's one of my favorite stores and I figure if I mention anthropology enough, maybe they'll send me a sample box, but you never know. So I get made fun of every now and then about my obsession with that store. And of course, a comment is always made about how expensive it is, right? But I'm like, honestly, I'd rather buy two quality pieces from there than 10 non-quality pieces from a much cheaper mass production store because I know that the clothes are going to not only last me a long time, but it's to me classic. The look hasn't changed really over the last 20 years. So I have things from anthropology that I bought eons ago, looks brand new still. So that's the thing. Their brand is of a certain look and you have a certain perspective of their brand, but they also stand behind that brand that if you buy an expensive piece from us, it will last you a very, very long time. That's a good point because, you know, we don't want us. It's good to clarify the fact that a brand isn't like a false persona you put out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is it is something that you have to stand behind and live by and be able to support so that people understand who you are and it has to be consistent. Yes, because brand and reputation go hand in hand. Absolutely, yeah. So let's also talk about brand in terms of how it affects mergers and acquisitions or otherwise known as M&A. So a company with a well-known and positive brand can command a higher acquisition price compared to one that doesn't. For example, one aspect of that is a brand that is not dependent on an owner's personal brand. So a lot of us will fall into kind of the situation I was talking about earlier, where your personal brand and your corporate brand might be commingled or one and the same. The type of brand you have will give you more options as a seller, and then it also determine what your sales contract could look like. So for example, let's just say that you own a service-based company that you are selling. If a company that's buying yours know that the majority of the customers will jump ship if you, as an owner, is no longer associated with your company, then your acquisition deal will likely come with a clause for you to be with the acquiring company for some time after the purchase and for you to be actively involved in the business in order to be paid out your purchase price or some other kind of an earnout clause. Now, the length of how you're, how much you're involved and what you need to do will depend on how deeply your customer is attached to you versus your corporate brand. Let's say that you don't agree to the clause. What will happen is you'll probably find that your purchase price may be lower since it's a lot riskier for the acquiring company to purchase your company without you and, lose the major- and risk losing majority of the customers right after the sale. And to be quite honest, they may not even want to purchase you at all because it's just too high of a risk. 
This isn't necessarily a negative outcome because at the end of the day, how successful the acquisition of your business is really depends on what your goals are for selling and whether or not your sales contract achieved those goals, which doesn't always equate to the actual dollar of the purchase price. The price is only one form of measurement. But on the flip side, if the company you're selling has a strong brand that's independent of you, then you certainly have options to play when you're negotiating your sales contract, especially about what happens to you after the sales. So let's just say that your goal for selling is that you wish to sell your business and retire to an island as soon as possible with little to no impact about collecting your sales price after the sale. Then I would suggest that you build a very strong corporate brand for your company that is not relying on you or honestly on any one person in your company. Because the stronger your brand is on its own, the more value it will accumulate. Absolutely. I completely agree. I feel like not enough people know how best to brand their company and when to even begin. A lot of times people think, oh, you know, I've I've now owned my business uh, 10, 15 years. Maybe it's time for me to start branding. Well, unbeknownst to you, you've already branded your company and it might not be the kind of brand that you wanted it to have. So really, you need to start branding your business pretty much as soon as you start your business. But um, I'm going to dive into story branding now because just as you said there are eight different types of uh branding there's also like a gajillion ways of how to brand and in my opinion i feel like today's market really resonates with story branding influencers on social media are always creating some level of story branding by making you a part of their journey and their experience companies can replicate that in some ways but where do you begin To better understand your brand and how to articulate the story, you have to begin with researching your target audience and then research your competitors. With my company offering a few different levels and types of service, I had to dive in and uncover who my clients are, what industry are they in, and who referred them to me or how did they find my company. Once I wrote them all out in a spreadsheet, I found that there was a pattern. Most of my clients came through the same form of industry service providers, and a lot of my clients were in the same industry. Actually, I found my clients as a whole were in one of four different categories. I then created a list of what my competition looks like. I looked at my local competition and then the national, and I wrote out what they offered compared to what I offer. I found that none of them did what I did because... I'm a special unicorn. And at the core of it, I realized that what my company does is offer value. We're not just offering service. We also offer referral opportunities and better practice advice. We would take the clients under our wing and made their business our business. And thus a slogan was born. That's my origin story right there. So anyway, so take a look at your logo. Are the colors and style of it representative of you and your personality? If not, why not? Your logo and the colors of your business are indicative of what a client will expect from you. Color psychology is a real thing. And although I won't dive into it now, you should do your own research and find what you mean to say and the colors that say what you mean. And on a side note, color psychology is so fascinating to me and and what we associate with certain colors and it, when creating my new logo and when you were creating your logo that was top of the top of mind top of list whatever color you choose is how people are going to is the millisecond decision on what on how a person sees you 
I agree with you there. I recall when we were coming up the logo for the rebranding of my business, not only did we go through multiple colors, but when we did narrow down to blue, which is the uh, primary color of the logo, we went through different shades of blue. Yeah. Yeah. And I I can say that when I saw the blue for mine, because mine's blue and gold, it was exciting to me. I, when I got felt excited, I knew I had found the right colors. And it, it's true because even while you're there, and of course, I, I was working with a, I was working with the marketing company. So I had them like, they were presenting to me like various shades of blue of the same logo. And at some point I was like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> right. One of, after a while, all the blue starts looking the same, but you know, um, I did appreciate the fact that there were all these different shades because they were right. You know, depending on what shade it is, it did kind of give you a natural, like a different feeling when it comes to what the logo is. So. I think I told my marketing company, I was like, I need something like an electric blue. And I didn't realize there were that many different shades of electric blue. I was like, okay, well, you know, that's, that's a cool. <laughs> oh yeah. Hex codes. I've got them all memorized at this point. Oh yes. Hex codes. That's what I was trying to think. I was like, I, I remember there's like codes for each of the different type of colors. And it was like, at the end of that, you're just like talking codes because you're like, this is a slightly, slightly better shade. This is a little bit more forward thinking and more futuristic than this Lord. other shade of the electric blue. And yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it was a lot of fun. It's you learn a lot, but I, I agree. That's a long way of saying I agree with you, Savannah. The, the color, <laughs> color psychology is a real, real thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so after you've established what colors you'd like to work with, or that these are the colors of your brand, it's time you write your story. You don't have to be a compelling writer to have a compelling story. Keep in mind the basic structure of a story: the characters, the setting, the plot the conflict, and then the resolution. Story branding grabs a person by the emotions. And so your story, you didn't think I was going to say that, but story branding grabs a person by the emotions. And so your story must grab your client in an emotional place. Make them feel like you two have something in common. And this will make them both align themselves with you and your company and will have them advocating and supporting you and your company as well. And saying that, you have to identify the characters that make up your company. Did you have an aha moment that involved another person? Did anyone negatively or positively affect the birth of your company? Who are the people that make your company unique? So what's the setting? Where were you when you started your company? What was going through your mind? What were you doing before you started the company? You got to write it all out. Now on to the plot. What's your reason for being? What's your company's mission? What's your ultimate goal? To tell your story, you have to know your reason for being in business and then be able to articulate it clearly. What is your purpose? What is important to you? What makes your product different from the competition? Who are you and how did you come to these answers? And frankly, why should anyone care? Add to this your history. Was your company a family-owned business? Did you buy it from someone else? Did you have a different business that is key to the success of this one? The more you add, the richer the story becomes and the more a person can connect to you. Now for the conflict. Did something bad happen that made you decide to start this company? Did you see something happening to potential clients and it inspired you to start your company? What problems did you find that your company can resolve? What issues did you overcome? People like to hear a good comeback story. And if you've got one, don't be afraid to share it. 
If you don't have one, you're clearly identified a need and created a solution with it within your company. So make that your struggle, make that the conflict. Resolutions bring the whole story together. So bring it all to a full circle here. Now, story branding doesn't have to be more than a paragraph long display of what we just talked about, but if it helps to put it in simpler terms, consider it this way. What's your vision slash mission? What's the conflict, the problem, and how did you solve it? So a lot of what you're describing here is also commonly known as the hero's journey, mm -hmm. right? So it, it does kind of sound like you're writing the story about yourself, um, and I, I, if people, and you're right, like it, it, you start with it and it's going to be a really long, long, long story. But the idea is you, you should be able to condense it to something that's short and concise, uh, something that others can relate to. And it's, so it means that this is something that you're going to work on for a little bit of time. There's going to be several drafts, there's going to be several iterations, and eventually you'll come to kind of that short one paragraph that you can use on your website use when you're doing your elevator speech, use when you're meeting a new networking contact, um, something that can really help other people hone in and feel like they're, they, they feel like they can relate to your company. And you can also establish instant rapport because of that. Right. Right. And it's also important to note that uh, when it comes to writing your story brand or writing your brand out and you are creating the characters and you're creating the conflict and the resolution and all that, you do have to keep in mind, do you want it to be with you or without you? Do you want the character to be you starting the business or do you want the character to be the business, the hero's journey? Who's the hero? Is it you or is it the company? Right. And how much of a, how much, how much are you kind of the main character of the story versus just a supporting, a supporting actor in it? Right. Because that's going to determine, especially if you have the intention or maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not for 10 years. But if at some point your ultimate goal is to sell your business, you do want to separate you from your company from the jump. Yeah. And it kind of just brought to mind a little bit about kind of how we perceive like Amazon and Jeff Bezos. So Jeff Bezos has a has a really rich story of how he started. A lot of people have seen kind of the uh, I think somebody did a documentary on. Well, I'm sure there's been a lot of documentaries on him and Amazon and books. But I remember distinctly a documentary I was watching where somebody was clearly walking into his, you know, office, quote unquote, when he had first started Amazon. And he basically like had a desk, whole bunch of stuff piled everywhere and kind of like a spray pan painted sign of amazon.com like on his wall right and this is a really rich story because you know we all know that the behemoth that amazon is today and where jeff bezos is today and that's kind of where he started and i want to say that his origin story doesn't take away from the amazon corporate brand whatsoever in fact it kind of just adds to it and but it's a supporting part it's a supporting piece of it it's not the main it's not the main brand I agree. And um, I would also take it to um, Steve Jobs. I would also take it to, you know, Facebook. I would take it to any of those massive brands that their product and the creator of the product do stand separately and together. You know what I mean? Like Amazon could not have Jeff Bezos, but Jeff Bezos is a brand in and of himself. And Amazon is a brand, obviously, in and of itself. Uh, Facebook is a brand in and of itself. Um, Apple is a brand in and of itself. Steve Jobs is separate from it. Like 
could Apple and Steve Jobs have, and they did. I mean, he started, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll go into that, but later, because it is so clear and he did it so well that he created Apple. Yes, but Apple stood all by itself without him. And he was able to leave it and even come back to it. It, it was just a brilliant, it was brilliant marketing. You know, they kind of positioned themselves, uh, Jeff Bezos, um, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk even, right? They positioned themselves as like the visionary of the business. And certainly we know that Tesla, Amazon, and Apple will have long, well long survived, if not already have long survived, even after their departure from the business. Now, the one thing I will say is how to relate to that from a small business point of view is that you just kind of want to give that some thought and think about also kind of how you as an owner is representing yourself. Because, you know, we're all very proud of our business that we founded and started and bootstrapped and put in a lot of like, you know, uh, sweat and tears over. And so sometimes it is really hard for us when we go out into the world to not claim our company to be us or ours. Right. And then that kind of, you know, directly goes in the face of any kind of corporate brand you're trying to build there. And then also just think about it, too, because I remember when I first started, how hard it is to kind of separate the company from myself because I was the main salesperson. You know, I was the rainmaker. I was still the one going out there getting new business, which you have to do because you can't, you know, it, it takes a little bit before you get to a point where you can actually hire a salesperson to do some of this work for you. So I had to and work really hard to make sure clients understood that I am here just as a salesperson and I'm representing the business, but what the business does, what it delivers, how it's delivered is really the company as a whole, which means, you know, all our staff and everybody involved in it and all the software we use and everything like that. It's not that if they buy into the company, they buy me personally. Yeah. Which I will say that I, I realized a few years ago that I didn't want me and my company to be the same one and the same. I wanted to be separate from my company so that I could eventually become just a cog in the wheel of my business. So I started taking me and my name and, and making it we. We did this. We are this. We have, you know, as opposed to Savannah did this and Savannah did this and I or I did this and I did and I. No, I wanted to take it all out and make my company stand on its own two legs and that I work for the business so that. I mean, even though my, I have no intention to sell it, maybe someday somebody's going to come to me and say, hey, I'm going to I want to buy it for a gajillion dollars. And then I'd be like, you can have it because it's easy for someone to slip in and purchase it if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, post integration of a sales is um, <laughs> you can write a whole book about it. I'm pretty sure people have wrote books about it. So our listeners can go look up books about it. Uh, but certainly, it's already difficult and complex as is, uh, speaking from personal experience, to add the fact that if you have a brand that's intertwined with yourself as an owner who also would like to make an exit from mm -hmm. business and go to that island of yours sooner rather than later, you're just causing a little bit more headache for yourself to be able to detach. And your customers probably can't detach from you either, because in their mind, they think you and a business are one and the same, and you are the reason why it is the way it is. Right. So, but that's not to say that there is anything wrong with a company that is your personal brand, right? That is the same. What we're saying here is just think about it and make sure that what your company brand is, is what you want it to be, and that it aligns with your end goal. So going back to kind of what 
uh, had asked earlier of whether or not it's too early to think about your brand. I think Savannah, you had said that too. It's never too early. In mm -hmm. fact, you should think about your brand from day one of your business. Um, and like you were saying is you have a brand, whether you're aware of it or not. It's really just a matter of whether or not you've thoughtfully created the brand or you're simply unaware of what your brand is. And so far, it hasn't tripped you up. You haven't missed an opportunity to capitalize on it. And you just are wholly unaware of it, right? Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, if you are unaware of it, you probably are missing out on the opportunity to leverage that brand to increase your bottom line and the value of your company to your customers, your employees, recruiting of talent, and of course, your future buyer. Uh, it's also, I think, important for us to note that brand and culture are two different things. Yes, although they do influence each other, but definitely two distinct different things. Definitely. And when I was when I was trying to kind of figure out what my brand was or is, I guess I wasn't trying. I, I don't know that I ever really tried to figure it out. I think I always knew what it was going to be. It was just a matter of making sure other people saw it the same way I did. And one of the things that I did when I was attempting to make it something that was more seen and more known was I interviewed my team. What do you think we are? Who do you think we are? How do you see this company? What did you think? What was your opinion? How do you see it? And it was interesting to hear from them, like many of them felt the same way, but many of them didn't. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm not doing as good of a job as I thought I was with. <laughs> with well, that goes back to, yeah, you were doing exactly right. Which goes back to our definition of brand, right? It's really how others perceive your company, not so much what you want it to be. It doesn't mean anything if the other people, others don't see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did the same thing with my clients. I sent out a, uh, are you happy with us? Is everything going okay? And then, Hey, um, when you think of my company, what, what do you see? Like, what do you, what do you think we do? And, uh, again, not all of them said the same thing. <laughs> not that I was expecting all of them to say the same thing, but there was a lot of very, very, like it was very varied. <laughs> it was all over the place. Okay. I'm not doing a good job of really articulating what it is that we do. So I had to revamp all of our wording, revamp the website, revamp what I say, how I said it to kind of filter it and condense it into something that was clearer to everyone. And it worked, I think, for the most part, because people now do know what it is that we do so much so that when I go to an event or, you know, when I'm when I'm being introduced to someone uh, and, and the person the person who's introducing me will spot on say what it is that we do, which is not an easy task con <laughs> considering all of the things that my company does, but they can spot on say what my company does. And I'm like, wow. So I guess I did a good job over the last couple of years, like really pushing my brand to make it clear what it is that we do. And that, that, that I think is important. And uh, I never thought that my origin story was that important until I started to say my origin story. And I kind of felt exposed in a way because I'm a, I'm a private person and I didn't want to share the reason why I started, started my company, the two reasons why. I always shared the one that was more of a public and more professional, but not the personal part. Once I started showing the vulnerability of my past and why I, the second reason why I started my company, people really, really bought into it and were like, oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, okay, well, I started to feel a little more confident about sharing that part of it because, you know, you don't want to seem, or maybe I don't want to seem weak 
or bring any kind of negative light as to why, what was the motivation behind starting my company. But once I started to share that part, it really brought in a new dimension and invited different opportunities, new opportunities for me to, you know, have a platform for my business. So don't be afraid to, if there is a vulnerable side or a, uh, a personal side, maybe you don't have to divulge all of the things if you don't want to, but put some person into it, personality into it. Right. I think what we do as, as just humans is we relate better when there's a story involved. Uh, this is why storytelling is so important. And I know it sounds like something you do with like maybe your three-year-old at home, but yeah. really storytelling is in everything, especially when you're in business. Um, it helps people understand what your point is in a way that they can um, quickly assimilate and really kind of resonate with, with only so many words. So I would say that I, I'm not surprised to hear that once you started adding personal elements into your story, um, it gave people kind of more depth to what you do and who you are and what the company is. And it also lended themselves to feeling, feeling like they could trust you more probably, right? Because you, you opened up to them. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And it, it brought a human element to the company, even though I still have, I feel like done a pretty good job of separating myself from the business. I'm not 100% there, but um, I'm, I've been working towards it being a standalone. Still having that personal element is, you know, kind of like how with, you know, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, or we all know that, you know, Steve Jobs was working in his garage with, with Steve Wozniak, like that, that personal element is still there, but it's not the entire story. It's woven in. It's not the main plot line. It's totally. not the main character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, I, myself was uh, somebody who started and same thing as you had an idea what I want the brand to be, but didn't realize how much of that brand was really just my brand, my yeah. personal brand. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up having to go through three iterations of my brand, which I will never recommend to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so like, cause like the first iteration is like I said, it, it, me and the company were one in the same. I didn't realize that. And honestly, I didn't have that much time to really think it through only because heck, I need to stand up a business. It was me, myself, and a laptop, and I needed to, I needed to find some business. <laughs> I needed to find some revenue sooner rather than later. And so that was my focus. But eventually, once you stand up your company, and like you were saying, once you hire employees, it's interesting how quickly you realize you have to clarify what your brand is because you know, now you have a sounding board, you know, your employees are giving you feedback about what, like you said, they think your brand is. And you're like, hmm, that was not, not where I was going with it. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, maybe I'm not as clear as I thought it was. So for me, the second evolution of my brand came when I started hiring employees. And then I had to start making adjustments and clarifications to make sure I can instill the brand in my, my uh, staff. And then after that, um, I created another brand to basically be a standalone corporate brand because I was clear at that point or much more clear that I wanted to sell the business. And I knew the value of a brand, a standalone brand to a business. And I had to remove my own personal brand from the forefront of it all. And then it was on this third iteration that I did sell the company. Now, I would say it would have been a lot easier if I just knew from the start <laughs> and distinguish my personal brand from my corporate brand because later on, and this was probably six years into it, seven years into it, and even working with a marketing professional, you know, separating the two brands, like, I mean, it wasn't the sole reason why things happened, but it was a large part where I ended up, 
you know, having to turn over my customer list like 50%. And then I almost had 100% turnover in my staff. Like I said, it wasn't the sole reason of why these things happened. But, you know, I had to reposition the company to align with my brand. And with that, you know, you start clearing through your client list and start clearing through your staff list because for me, it was a bit of a shift. And when I would represent it to be sellable and to rebrand it, you know, that was just part of the strategy. So this is why I think it's so important that as small business owners, you know, everybody just takes a minute, really think about what your brand is as of today and see if it's where you want it to be or it's going to get to where you want to go. I agree. In each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful business owners of today or in history, and sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. So my example today is, I feel like I've used them before, but I I do love their origin story and their company in general, because all my eyewear is from Warby Parker. (laughs) Warby Parker is your, is is my anthropology. (laughs) I think that's actually pretty true. And I don't even know why, but for some reason, I just really like them. Maybe we'll get glasses and clothes. I'm just putting it out there. (laughs) Let's see what the universe brings us back. (laughs) That's right. So it's said that Warby Parker was founded as a rebellious upstart that kind of tackled the problem of a very expensive eyewear when one of the founders lost his glasses when he was on a backpacking trip and honestly couldn't afford to replace them as a grad student in school. Totally understandable because before Warby Parker, my gosh, classes are expensive. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I was, I had such... (laughs) I still do have really bad vision, but I had a heavy enough prescription that it was just so expensive to get those things like your lenses, like extra thin, anti-scratch, anti-glare. And then on top of that, the frame that doesn't look terrible. Or in my case, astigmatism. So you got to get special lenses. And all oh, I know. So <laughs> thank goodness for Warby Parker. Anyways, <laughs> but for their brand, though, um, what they do is not only, you know, are they known kind of as this rebellious upstart, they also were kind of social entrepreneurs, um, very similar to the Tom's brand, where they partnered with uh, nonprofits such as uh, Vision Spring to distribute a pair of glasses to someone in need for every pair that they sell. So naturally, kind of in a nutshell, you know, they're known for good eyewear and a good outcome. Now, it's said that uh, Warby Parker has distributed over a million pairs of glasses and has trained over 18,000 men and women to give basic eye exams and bring glasses to to different communities in need uh, Hmm. through their nonprofit partner, Vision Spring. With this rebellious spirit and doing good, certainly this is part of Warby Parker's brand that really, really works for them. And their branding, their brand, also aligns with their branding and their brand identity. From the messaging of their ads to how their brick and mortar stores are set up so that it doesn't feel like that traditional stuffy eyewear glasses office Sorry to whoever I just offended. Um, <laughs> to how they service um, in their stores, how their people service customers in their stores and online. It's all very seamless, very cheery, and just you know practical and down to earth. And it works well for them. I, I, I just, I feel good when I go inside of a, a Warby Parker. Don't you? I used to hate going to the, eye, the optometrist and the eyeglasses. It was just, oh, I don't know. It's just so stale. Yeah. I just feel good when I walk in. That to me is a very strong brand. I agree. 
Well, believe it or not, there was a time, a very long time period of time, actually, when Apple wasn't the Apple it is today. It was considered subpar and not exactly the first choice in an electronic. Um, I don't know about you, but I remember that. Like the Oh, Apple, I remember. You know, oh God, no. Um, <laughs> Steve Jobs left Apple in nineteen eighty five. He went on to become one of the three founders of Pixar. While there, he found he was not just surrounded by tech geeks, but by storytellers and artists. He discovered they had created a genius way of telling stories with much less words than others did in that time. This new style of writing and storytelling created an opportunity for emotion to flourish in between sentences and time to process emotion as well. In 1997, Jobs returned to Apple as a changed man. After being surrounded by professional storytellers, he realized the story was everything, and this was going to be the key to changing Apple. Steve Jobs began filtering his message through the lens of a story to make their customer a hero, a creative individual who thinks differently. From there, Apple became customer-centric, compelling and clear in their communication. In 1997, the first campaign he released went from nine pages in the New York Times to just two words on billboards all over America. And I might be dating myself when I say this, but I remember it so distinctly. Think different. How? Oh, my gosh. Like, so mind I believe it was, uh, I don't know, I feel like the time I've seen it was like in Times Square in New York. And it was just, that was it. It was just think different in black think letters. Different period, and a white background, and that was their entire billboard. Yep. Apple stopped featuring computers and most advertising, pivoting to customers and emotions as the true form of sales. It wasn't about the what, but the how. Not the product, but how a person felt and how that looked when the person had the product. Apple discovered filtering stories through short and succinct messaging created living, breathing heroes of their customers with their own stories to tell. Now, we all know how Apple ended up, but it could have easily gone into the caves of the past like Atari, if not for the discovery of the power of storytelling and branding. And I mean, I know you and I both have Apple products. Um, <laughs> I I toggle between PC and Apple, but... I mean, you, you you have to admit the way they created their products, the simplicity, the look of it, the design of it. Like if anybody who was old enough to remember in the 90s uh, and early 2000s, Apple made a huge comeback from like obscurity. Absolutely. Like what? what is what came out of nowhere? What was yep. those? Um, uh, what was those really colorful iMac? Uh, is it iMacs? I think they were called. I think they were called. Yeah, they had a blue, like there was a blue background or a, a neon pink background or a green one. Right, and then they one. went from like the uh, I think the I can't remember what they were called. Like, and then they had the laptops that had all the colors, yeah. and people were just like, "Oh my gosh, look at all these!" Like, people would fight over those things. I know <laughs> to get their hands on one. It was such a big. I mean, they came out in a huge, big way. Like they did such a you know one eighty in their company, and they do attribute it a lot of it to Steve Jobs and his time at Pixar and him coming back kind of just with a bang and being the fact that he kind of got ousted of the company and then they. I don't. I don't know if they invited him. I'm assuming they invited him back or somehow 
Yeah, I think what he, I think if I remember the story correctly, I'm sure somebody will point me out if it's, if it's wrong, but I think I remember it as they cautiously brought him back in and he was like, just let me run with this. I I promise you, this is going to be amazing. I've spent all this time with Pixar and I'm telling you like, this is it. And they gave him a wary opportunity or an opportunity in which they were wary about it, but they gave him an opportunity. And that's just, it just kind of exploded from there. And I mean, everyone, everyone has an Apple now, whereas 20, I guess 25 years ago, everyone would be like an Apple. Ew, no, Blackberry all the way. (laughs) So, (laughs) but you know, that, that is the power of storytelling and branding. And we all know what happened to Blackberry this year. I know. Makes me sad. It does kind of make me sad a little bit. There's some nostalgia to having Blackberries that I think uh, this generation will never know now because no. they, they're gone. No, they are. With each episode, we like to share either books, tools, apps, platforms, or anything we think is a great next step and connector to our discussion. So if you like our subject matter and want to learn more, you'll have a great place to start. Well, since uh, we have spoken about story branding for some time now, uh, we would be remiss not to actually uh, recommend Donald Miller's book called Building a Story Brand. So he goes over kind of what a hero's journey is, and that's largely what Savannah was describing earlier. And the great thing about the book is it actually has practical ways that you can follow and you can kind of help build your own story uh, brand. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing I have is I don't have anything else in ways of like books or whatnot, but my my advice would be uh, for our listeners out there to really schedule a brainstorming session with yourself and or your business partners if you have them and really try mm-hmm. to articulate your brand in a short, concise sentence or a handful of words. Um, I don't know if you can get it down to what Apple did, which is two, two words. And I mm-hmm. think they've stayed pretty consistent with that of all their branding. It's always been simplistic. Mm-hmm. just one or two words and that is it. Um, but you can certainly, you know, come up with a handful of words that you feel like represent your brand. Now, you may have to work on this a bit if you've never really thought about it before. Um, I would say that when I rebanded my company for the third time, it took me well over a month to finalize my brand. But once you do, everything else kind of falls in place, right? Because then you kind of thread your brand through everything, whether it's your culture, your sales, your customer service, um, whatever else your messaging is. If you are somebody who's had your business for some time, then I would say that you may want to start with what you believe other people perceive your brand to be and see if it actually fits what you want your brand to be. Um, Savannah, you did a great job of explaining how you started asking people. Well, that's probably a good way of going about it, right? Once you kind of Think once you think you you know what it is. Maybe you want to ask people and see if it really aligns. Because as we said before, brand is what other people perceive you to be, not kind of how you perceive your brand to be. Well, it's like that famous line from Bette Midler: "Enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me?" You know, it's (laughs) (laughs) you. You do kind of want to know, like, what what are people's perception of your of you and of you and your company. Um, or of just your company, whatever it is, it's a good place to start. Yeah. And it is kind of hard, right? Because nobody really wants to know. But, you know, you're in business. So you just gonna have to, you know, put on your grown up pants and go ask. If you have staff, it makes it a little easier because your staff, obviously, you can have a conversation with them, um, with your customers. You know, of course, you can do it in a survey form, kind of like Savannah did, or maybe pick a couple customers that you've known well, has been with you from the start that you trust. And, you know, they're willing to give a couple minutes of their time to kind of give you some feedback. 
Now, if you're one of those business owners listening to us who has had your brand established for some time, then maybe this is a good time to really sit down and just reflect on what your current brand is and see if it still aligns with what your business goals are. Um, there are different considerations for your brand, depending on what your exit strategy is and uh, whether or not it's keeping a legacy business or selling your business. Um, and you want to make sure that your brand is still, you know, is still the right brand that will help you get to your exit at the end of the day. So I agree. So instead of recommending a book about story branding, I thought it would be best to recommend a book that goes a little deeper than that. I suggest reading Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action by Simon Sinek. In the Amazon description, it said that people like Martin Luther King Jr., Steve Jobs, and the Wright brothers had little in common, but they all started with why. They realized that people won't truly buy into a product, service, movement, or idea until they understand the why behind it. I just wanted to add too, uh, the book is really good. And uh, for those who kind of want like a condensed version of it too, I would highly recommend his TED Talk by the same title, Start With Why. It's kind of the one he got famous off of. And it does a pretty good job of summarizing kind of what, what the book is about, although the book goes into more depth. So certainly read it, of course. But he does use Apple as one of his primary um, examples because of what they did and how, how well it's doing. Yeah, and it's interesting that the the Wright brothers had to really campaign to convince people that flying was here to stay. That's true. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody like you know, a lot of people thought it was like a like you know like a fad or like oh, it's not gonna, it's not you know, it's not gonna keep. Come on, no, no, no. But even like the fl flying, I mean, put flying aside. There's even like no one believed that the telephone, well, or or anything that had to do with the telephone would last very long. Like, ah, it's just a fad. Isn't that so interesting? Oh, I think I feel like that's what they said about cryptocurrency. Yeah, <laughs> 20 years ago or 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, like 10 some years ago. It's a fad. It's not going to go away. And then today I'm listening to some news stories about like how they were like, oh, you know, they're talking about the crypto platforms and making sure that they can they're asking them to, or pressuring them to shut it off. Um, so they're not transacting with those in Russia. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, right. Like, I don't understand cryptocurrency still, but, you know, that might just be me. So much for that fake money idea 10, 15 years ago that nobody believed. Like, you can't generate money from computers, whatever. Or currency yeah. from computers. Well, you know, I, I'm sure that I am no different than the person who was like, electricity, how does that work? Cars? Psh, this just sounds dangerous. Where are you going? They'll never stay. They'll never stay. Nobody's ever going to pick that up. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, you should also check out the website, www.storybrand.com. According to their website, you can get coaching and feedback on your message from story brand experts, create seven messages you need to grow revenue for your business, and get access to live sessions from story branders like Donald Miller, Dr. JJ Peterson, and more, and create a five-part sales funnel that will boost revenue. So, you know, if you don't trust your own uh, abilities to create a story or create a brand or story brand, then uh, you might want to check out that website. Please join us for our next episode where we will discuss networking the right way for the long haul. Tips on how to maintain long lasting professional relationships. We will explore ways you can both make a connection that has the potential to last and what steps to take 
to foster these relationships for the years to come. Want to ask a question, leave a comment, or become a sponsor for a future episode of The Business Behind Small Business? Click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Until next time, thanks. Bye.